The expansion of the Levites, the tribe that's been designated the priest, is limited by God. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering some interesting things from Numbers 34, 35, and 36. We're going to learn some fascinating things today. I'll tell you, Bible Discovery is here to do that. All right, Corey is here. Go ahead, Corey. I'm taking a look at the issue of high places. High places are spoken of in Numbers and Deuteronomy and later on in the books of Kings as well. Ryan? Today we're finishing the book of Numbers, but before we move on, I want to talk about the bronze snake incident recorded in chapter 21, because this real event may have influenced later mythology. Yeah, in fact, the, the bronze snake incident is fascinating. Okay, Janice? Do we stand out? All right, all of this is coming in the next half hour teaching in five minutes. Their segments in 20 and Janice in 25. So let's open up our Bible guides and learn what God is saying. Numbers 35, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession, and you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals." The common land of the cities which you will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side two thousand cubits, on the south side two thousand cubits, on the west side two thousand cubits, and on the north side two thousand cubits. The city shall be in the middle." This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee, and to these you shall add forty-two cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be forty-eight. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many, from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. Numbers chapter 35 verses 1 through 8. Numbers 34, 35, and 36. That's what we study today in the books of Moses. It is a great day to study the Bible. And as we focus on this, we need to learn about the Levites. The Levites were unique in their vocation. They were called to distribute evenly among the tribes across the land of Israel. They had no earthly inheritance and did not have the privilege of marketing themselves as the rest of Israel did for business and commerce, God was setting up his kingdom in a unique way. The Levitical priest represented the people they were living among before God. 
and they were called each to teach them the law of God from within their settlements among the tribes of Israel. God was at the center of the settlements. He was at the center of the culture. And he was to be available everywhere to atone for sin. Only God could atone for the wrongdoings and the sins through the sacrifices and offerings of the people. Now, this is the way God has always built his kingdom. And it would be Jesus Christ who would once and for all make the big sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He did that for us and he rose again. Now, take your Bible guide. This is your Bible guide. If you got one, you're on the list. And if you're not on the mailing list, I want to encourage you to call or to write us and ask for your Bible guide and we'll send it to you. But take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage because this is important. As we focus on this, and by the way, when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it, it'll take you to the donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. They keep us alive. We really appreciate it. And it'll take you to a page you can download just like we printed the Bible guide. That's what your download looks like. So it's very good. Anyway, we're going to talk about heavenly inheritance from Numbers 35. Now, there's only eight verses. But let me tell you something. This is really something. The Lord teaches us through his word. And Father, I pray today, as we read your word carefully, and we listen to the Holy Spirit in your word, teach us your ways. Show us your paths so that we can take this and change our hearts. That's what we're here to do, Lord, in Jesus' name. And if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you or they're making fun of us or whatever they're doing, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I don't need to say this, but if you're making fun of us or whatever, that's great. Just consider the Lord, not me, the Lord. The Lord's the writer of the Bible. That's the most important book ever. And here's what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 35. It says in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in. And their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. And the common land of the cities, which you will give to the Levites, shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. Now, this is absolutely amazing. Listen, the cities of the Levites were given to the Levites, given to them out of the inheritance of the other tribes. <laughs> you see, God's kingdom is not built through business, but through our free will giving. I know there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with me on this, but that's the truth. And your free will giving is not subject to the government. Your free will giving is people who choose to give to the Lord, regardless of what the government says. They choose to support the work of God. And beloved, we need to hear that. We need to understand that. Now, I know in Europe and some places they have, through the years, Middle Ages, they ended up tithing and they called it taxes. And, and I understand that those are taxes. But, but let me tell you something. Giving to the Lord is not taxes. It's a free will gift. 
And we need to learn that. That's very important. Father, help us to learn what giving to you really is. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in verse 5, and this is interesting, and you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, and on the south side 2,000 cubits, and on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north side 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle, and this shall belong to them as a common land for the cities. A common land. See, the expansion of the Levites was limited by God. The expansion of the Levites was limited by God. The miracles, the wonders, and the achievements of God are done by Him alone. No one else. Now keep that in mind because there are people, and they believe that if they can just get to that person, that person is going to heal them. No, it's not the person. If you want to be healed by God, you're going to be healed by God, wherever you're at. Now, I know there are gifts of healing and all that, but keep in mind, it is God who does the miracle, not the person. So we need to keep that understood. And that's exactly what God did when he set up the Levites. That's what we hear in the scripture. Now, as we take the scripture, we go even further. And this is interesting in verses six through eight. Watch this. Now, among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge, to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities that you shall give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you will give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the large tribe you shall give many, from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. This is really important. Listen carefully. The cities given to the Levites included six cities used for justice called the cities of refuge. Justice is always a part of God's plan and should be included in his government. If we are trying to develop governments that follow God, then justice is really important. And the principles used in the Bible should be the principles we use in the justice systems. Because God's governments are all about justice. In the Old Testament, what you hear is righteousness with God, rightness with God, and justice. How do you treat your neighbor? How do you treat all of the people around you? Righteousness and justice. Very important. And now all the way through the Old Testament, even the prophets, they talk about that. And the Lord is trying to send a message to us. He's trying to send a message to us that you, you can't buy justice. You can't do that. You might think you did, but you didn't. And you cannot buy righteousness. These are principles that are eternal principles that God judges us on. So may we be right with God and may we be just with each other in the name of Jesus Christ.
All right, well, you've probably noticed that as we've been reading through Numbers and as we begin to segue into Deuteronomy as well, you're gonna see God uh, really reinforcing the mission of Israel when they go into the land of Canaan. And, uh, you know, it's, it's more about getting the false religion and false worship out of the land that was, it was resulting in, in really horrible practices that the people were, were engaging in. And a lot of these practices, you know, were, were, centered around what's called in Numbers, specifically in Numbers 32, you can read about it as the high places. And he talks about altars on the high places and, and standing stones and the names of their gods and the names of their kings on these stones. So today, you and I are going to figure out what that's all about. Take a look. How should we understand high places in the Bible? First, what were they? It's known that high places were set apart for religious practices and contained an altar for sacrifices. Though perhaps originally built on hilltops, there was diversity in their location, likely due to convenience and cultural significance. They could be built on hills and hillsides, in towns, in city gates, and even in ravines and valleys. Many, if not most, high places probably included other structures like outbuildings and walls. The Bible speaks of them as being built and destroyed. With the birth of Israel as a nation and the giving of the Mosaic Law, the practice of building altars and worshipping at high places was outlawed in Deuteronomy 12. Israel's worship was to be different than Canaanite worship and eventually be limited to a place where God would choose to put his name. During the conquest of the Promised Land, before a place for God's name was chosen, which presumably meant a place to put the sanctuary, Joshua built a high place on Mount Ebal. At some point during Joshua's life, though, the permanent sanctuary site was chosen, Shiloh. The tabernacle was pitched there and permanent religious structures were built up around it. The next period, that of the Judges, was a time of ever-growing religious apostasy. By the end of the book, we see the descendants of Moses ministering before idols and the tribes of Israel as largely descended into moral, spiritual chaos. The lifetime of the last judge, the prophet and priest Samuel, saw much change, not the least of which was the destruction of the sanctuary precinct in Shiloh, though the tent tabernacle, altar, and Ark of the Covenant escaped destruction. Samuel was undeniably a man of God, yet he was a habitual user of the high places in Israel. He routinely sacrificed on them. After the Temple of Solomon was built in Jerusalem, the Bible establishes it became the new place of God's name. The authors of Kings and Chronicles began to judge the kings of Israel based on whether they attempted to remove the high places. So then, culturally, though there was a temple, a place of God's name, the people generally continued to use the high places. What we see in the Bible demonstrates that Israelite high places were seen as acceptable to God under the conditions that the practices conformed to the worship of God and that they were being used in a time before an official place of the name had been chosen. This would explain why in Samuel's life, the high places were not criticized. Shiloh had been destroyed and apparently a new place had not yet been chosen. Beyond this, Deuteronomy 12 does provide exceptions to the rule of sacrificing only at the official sanctuary. Animals were allowed to be slaughtered for consumption at any village, town, or city. This provision allowed for practical meat consumption and celebration without the burden to travel to the official sanctuary. 
So understanding what high places were and how they functioned is really pivotal to our understanding of the culture of early Israel once they settle in Canaan. So we're talking Joshua, Judges, and the early Kings period. We need to understand you know, how this religion, religious system functioned in order to really get the most out of the scripture, really understand what's going on, for example, with Samuel and David and Saul. So more on that later, but it's really interesting. Now, the to, to again, to understand that is to realize that the ancient culture uh, was very much prevalent in those times. And uh, when we do that, the Bible comes alive and we can yeah. realize that. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we begin to ask ourselves questions like, how would the Israelites have understood this command? Uh, what What were high places to them? What did that mean? What did that look like? It helps us because we're so far removed from this yeah, time period. So in order to understand the theology of it, we kind of have to understand what's going on. And the principles are the same because yep. you keep in mind that we have high places today and they are, I mean, they could be worship practices right. and, you know, it's very, very interesting. So that's fascinating. Thank you, Corey. Ryan? All right. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we're finishing the book of Numbers today. But before we move on to Deuteronomy, I really want to talk about an incident recorded in Numbers 21. And what happened was the wilderness wandering Israelites grew discouraged, which caused them to complain against God and Moses. They even said in verse five, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. <laughs> they really needed an attitude adjustment. And so God sends poisonous serpents, which bit the people and caused a lot of them to die. Now, at this point, the Israelites repent. And when they do, God instructs Moses to make a bronze serpent and to have the people look upon it. And when they did, they were made well. Now, what's interesting about this is that this very real historical event may have influenced later mythology. Check it out. For the wilderness wandering Israelites, it had already been a long and arduous journey. But now they would have to travel from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea in order to go around Edom. The desert dwellers had had enough, and they complained against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. In response, the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people, and they bite them, and many of the Israelites die. These fiery serpents were venomous snakes with burning lethal bites, which quickly brought the Israelites unto repentance. And God, in his mercy, told Moses to mold a bronze likeness of a snake and place it on a pole so that anyone who looked on it would live. Curiously, this very real historical event recorded in the Bible may have actually influenced later mythologies. For example, the ancient Greco-Roman god of medicine is portrayed with a serpent-entwined rod, and the Greco-Roman god of commerce is portrayed with a double serpent-entwined rod. Interestingly, both of these serpent motifs are commonly used today to symbolize the practice and profession of medicine, though use of the double serpent symbol, called the caduceus, is considered by many to be very inappropriate because of its association with the god of commerce, who is also known as the patron of lies, gamblers, and thieves, not to mention a conductor of souls into the afterlife. As Stuart L. Tyson quipped, as conductor of the dead to their subterranean abode, his emblem would seem more appropriate on a hearse than on a physician's car. Nevertheless, these emblems, or at least the single serpent emblem, seems to originate with Moses' bronze serpent. Another possible throwback to this biblical event is the Festival of Serpents. Each year around the beginning of August, the Festival of Serpents takes place in many regions of India. On that day, so say the devotees, cobras will not bite. 
Live cobras or their images are worshipped and handled. Snake worshippers also ritually feed sacred cobras reared in special shrines, and even leave out milk as an offering to wild cobras. Of course, the true significance of the Israelites' bronze snake is that the enemy threat had been nullified. Ancient custom dictated that when a bitter enemy was killed, his head was severed from his body and put on a pole to show his utter defeat. Thus, the snake was lifted, signifying the enemy was rendered powerless. Jesus likens this incident to his own crucifixion. Satan thought his enemy was forever defeated, but then came the resurrection. You know, it's very fitting that the image of a serpent was erected on a pole since that enemy of the Israelites had been rendered powerless by God. Similarly, Jesus would be erected on a cross many years later. And just as the ancient Israelites looked to the bronze serpent and lived, so we too can look to Christ and live. Because Jesus arose from the dead, we will too. So make sure to look to Jesus. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to God except through him. Yeah, you know, this is really important because we need to understand that Jesus Christ is in the center of our culture today, even though many people misunderstand him because they don't understand God. And, you know, there was a time recently when uh, people were praying for a certain person. And the question is, who's, who God were they praying to? Uh, the God of the Bible or another God? It's really a good question. And we have to ask ourselves that because we teach the Bible and we teach the God of the Bible. And we need to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. We do. Because sure. the God of the Bible, you know, is not a bronze serpent on a pole, but the God of the Bible is Jesus Christ who's alive. Amen to that. Fully God, fully man. And uh, that's what we need to remember. Okay, Janice. Do we stand out? That's the question of today. And I was looking at this chapter, uh, chapter 35 in Numbers, and it's talking about cities for the Levites. And I think it's interesting to take into consideration that the organization of the land among the people was set up in a way by God that the Levites provided a visible presence among the 12 tribes, reminding them of the need for holiness and righteousness as the people of God. So... I ask myself today, are we that as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in our community, in our family? Is our church in the community one that is seen as different, as holiness, as unto God people who live differently, who think differently, who respond differently, who are leaders and encouragers and hope builders and hope givers? Because let's face it, believers, we know the bread of life. We know the living water and we can lead people there. But we can't lead people there if we're not involved, if we just stay in our houses all the time, if we don't live and proclaim and follow who we believe. So are we those ambassadors for Christ? Are we the salt of the world? Listen to what um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 about followers about people who follow him. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? He says again in 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Remember that, this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Remember that? Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
Let your light so shine before men, not says Janice, but says Jesus. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't work to earn our salvation. We can't work. None of us can work. The work was done once and for all through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross. But when we give our hearts in love and in repentance because of what God, what Jesus did on the cross, when we do that, we want to serve him. We want to become a reflection of who he is. We want to be gracious to others. It's only through the grace of God. See, I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I don't. I don't deserve his grace. But because of his great mercy, that's what he has extended to me. And I need to be able to learn through him because I can't do it on my own because some people are not lovable. I'm not lovable a lot of the time. Ask God. I'm not lovable all the time, but we need to learn with God's help to love one another, to have grace with one another, because that's what drew us to God. God first loved us while we were yet sinners. Are we standing out? Are we standing out for God? Are we visible in our community and in our family as somebody who's different? Somebody who responds differently, not out of fear for what comes in the future, but in faith in a God who knows the future, who has the future, who is our foundation, no matter what's going on around us, we are firm in our foundation of God. Are we living that way? I certainly hope so. Let's do what the scripture says and let's shine brightly a reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to YouTube and you look up PastorRodHembry.com or look up Pastor Rod Hembry, you will find our particular place. And that place has a brand new program. And that program is called Beyond the Call. And it talks to people about their testimony of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, check us out. Right now, let's pray. Lord, help me to keep your kingdom clear in my mind. In the name of Jesus Christ, 